we're so happy to welcome him here. And I told him, you know, just to take his liberty um, and, uh, and to say whatever God has on his heart. For, so I hope you will treat him with love. Amen. Because I, I deeply respect them uh, because they have shown such love. In Sunday school, we talked about perfection. And one of the things that, that Jesus said is about love. And as a pastor, he taught me to love. He really did because that's one of the things I, I didn't do. You know, I had, uh, I ruled myself out as being a pastor because you have to love everybody. And that's hard. Let's just be honest now. But I saw him love everybody, even, even those that may not seem so lovable. So I'd like to welcome to the platform Bishop Billy Paul Long. Thank you. You may be seated. I don't want to belabor the time. But I'd be remiss to say that I'm thankful for the praise and the worship. Everything is commanded to praise the Lord. But only those that truly love Him can worship Him. Jesus said, I'm seeking somebody that will worship me in spirit and in truth. And the only way to do that is to love Him. Amen. And I, I, I can't say enough about the Brownie family. As they said... Matthew and, and Paul were the only two children they had when they came. And uh, there's something about the drinking fountain at Apostolic Tabernacle. At least that's what I blame it on. Because at least three, my daughter included, that the doctor said they'll never have children. But yet when they were prayed for at our church, our pastor, our current pastor, now has four children when they got married, the doctor said, you have a 99.9% .9 chance of never having children. And whenever they started coming, we said, just go drink out of the water fountain. Don't know how that works, but it works. And they now have four healthy children. I was struck. Brother Chris was always a very outgoing young man. And uh, as his oldest son came up, I said, Our, your daddy was a very good boy. Are you a good boy? He said, yeah, I'm a good boy, and I'm smart, too. I said, that's Brother Chris. <laughs> he was always that way. And I was sitting there thinking, uh, as I listened to Sister Browning and him saying, I've asked her if she is able. And uh, I know I wouldn't be able to hear her. But I want her to sing at my funeral because there's nobody that can move. And I love to hear her sing, It is well with my soul. Amen. And Brother, Brother Mike, I don't know if I ever told him, Brother Brownie, my father-in-law was the pastor when they came. One of his admonishments to me as he handed the reins was, is use Brother and Sister Brownie because they are great and wonderful children of God and saints. 
my father-in-law, who probably affected me more than my own father because I spent more time with him. I went away to college at 17. My father was old. He was 48 when I was born. He hadn't pastored in a long time. And so when I went to Michigan in 1972, my father-in-law became my pastor until 1987. So he pastored me longer than my own father did. And I was always fortunate to have good men. And so my father-in-law told me, said, that is a great couple. And uh, he may not know why it took him so long to get to Milwaukee, but I'll tell you, one of the things that kept him from getting here was the prayers of his pastors. (laughs) Because we didn't want to lose them. (laughs) Wonderful, wonderful people. I'm telling you, you're blessed. You are blessed. Amen. I remember watching Brother Brother Chris, and I, I remember listening to Brother Matthew play. I we grew up listening to him learn how to play. Well, he didn't really have to learn; he just he just did. And I still listen to him on the on Facebook. He gets on Facebook and plays, and I listen to him. But I, I was remembering one of our anniversary services when Brother Chris and Brother Eric they asked him to do a skit, and they got up and they did my worship. Now, I, I, I don't have good knees, so most of my worship now has to come from my arms or whatever, but they did they did my worship, and one of them was, he does the basketball dribble, and then he does the bus drive, and I don't remember all the rest of them, but somebody said, did that offend you? I said, no, I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. I appreciate them tremendously. Appreciate my wife. Other than God, she's the best thing that ever happened to me. She probably would testify she's had four teeth pulled in the last uh, month, and she just had two more pulled Wednesday. And uh, so she's not talking too well. And uh, She's been on not a liquid diet, but a soft diet. She said this morning she feels like a baby because she has to mash everything up in order to eat. So, But we're glad that she's with us today. Appreciate her. She's put up with me for 50 years, and it's been a great 50 years. Somebody said, how long have you been happily married? I said, about 45. <laughs> Amen. Uh, and really, it's probably closer to 49. But Because uh, anybody tells you they've been happily married every day of their marriage, you had not been married very long. <laughs> there are some days, I used to say it like this, there's days I just eat her up, and then there's other days I wish I had. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. I heard something, to, uh, well, I guess it was Friday night, I was listening, and and uh, a minister that was speaking had just buried his wife. And uh, he said, one of his dear saints came up to him and said, Pastor, let me give you a little bit of advice that may help you. She said, laughter mixed with tears makes a beautiful rainbow. Because you see, before you can ever have a rainbow, you've got to have some rain. And then the sun comes out, and you have a beautiful rainbow. 
And in your tears, in the sorrows of loss, all of a sudden the joy of the Lord appears and a beautiful rainbow appears in your life. So for those of you that have lost a dear loved one, mix a little laughter, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll preach. But I remember when Mama and Daddy died, and they died two weeks apart, and I know you've heard it in 1989. And um, there were nine, eight of us left then. There's only five of us now, but there were eight of us then. And we took turns. Four people, would, four of my siblings would meet people out front, and the other four would stay in the back, and we reminisced about our lives. And someone out front heard us in the back laughing, and we were having a great time. And somebody said, they must not have loved their parents too much. They're back there laughing. And our other siblings came back and told us, and then they said, we went back with this answer. We're laughing because of the good memories that we have. And those of us that are crying are crying because of the loss. But we flip-flop. We cry and we laugh. But the rainbow still appears. Amen. And thank you for singing that song. I don't know if any other song has ever blessed me like all my life. He has been faithful. All my life, he has been so, so good. Of course, we're privileged to go to Paul's wedding and Chris's wedding. If I remember right, didn't we start a fire? Somebody started a fire at Charles' wedding. Talk about being married with the Holy Ghost and fire. But somebody knocked over a candle at their wedding and uh, caught a few things on fire. But it was put out without the fire department. So we're so glad to see y'all really really are. Amen. If I can do this today, if I can, if I can foretell like it was given to me, I think it'll bless you today. It's not profound, but it blessed me. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Brother Browning, would you pray?
Thank you. You may be seated. I in trying to get this, I don't know if I ever had the classic means of getting a, a message. I guess I learned from my father, my father-in-law. When my, I was growing up, I watched my father sit in a recliner, and he, he'd always, whenever he was leaning back, he kind of turned his mouth kind of sideways, and he would twiddle his thumbs. And I'd watch him, and he would tell us he was meditating, and I thought, and, and, and understand when you're a teenager, sometimes you think things that you dare not say about your parents. And I looked at him one day, and I knew he was supposed to be preaching, and I thought, old man, you're just sleeping. You're not, you're not meditating. And uh, Daddy always pastored small churches. We never drove real nice cars. My wife drove past the house the first time she came four times before she'd stopped because she didn't think anybody would live in that house. And that's the truth. Well, maybe it's three. But. And so when I came off up to Michigan and I met Dad, I thought, now I'll find out what a real preacher. Because Benton Harbor was running around 200 and a little over one of the going churches in Michigan, if anything was happening, we had visitors from everywhere coming, uh, big youth group, nice choir, and I thought, I'll, I'll learn something from him. And I walked into their living room one day, and there sat Dad, sitting in his recliner. He didn't have his jaw turned sideways, but he was sitting there twiddling his thumbs. And Mom walked in, she said, Jim, what are you doing? He kind of raised up, he said, I'm meditating, getting ready to preach. It floored me. I really didn't know how to take that. So I've kind of adopted their manner of learning and trying to get a message together. And so I was in my recliner twiddling my thumbs. And I began to replay all the times that Satan has tried to kill me. And the first one I remembered was when I was eight years old on a Sunday afternoon eating popcorn. Something bit me under my right arm and then started running across my chest and I just reflexively slapped it and on about my business. About an hour later, I started breaking out and I, oh, Sister Hannah, I'm sorry. I've known her for a long time out of Benton Harbor. Proud to say she's from Apostolic Tabernacle. We're sorry she moved too, but we're glad that she's living for God. And about an hour later, I, I started breaking out, and Mom and Daddy first thought it was measles, and then I began to lose my voice. And by Monday morning, my fever was 105. They took me to the doctor. I was still lucid. And the doctor said he needs to be admitted immediately. Mama said, we have no insurance. Can he stay for free? Dr. Laird said, no, he can't stay for free. Mama said, we don't have any money. Can we pay it by the month? He says, no, we can't allow that. Then we'll take him home and pray for him. And I'll never forget sitting there as an eight-year-old listening to Dr. Laird said, if you take this boy home, he will die. 
But they took me home, and for a week, I can still tell you some of the hallucinations that I had. I don't know how high my fever got. I don't know, but for a solid week, I hovered between life and death until on a Saturday morning, I awoke, my fever had broken, and I was alive. Thank God. Because two years later, I got the Holy Ghost. And then, I don't know if Brother Brandon and probably remember this, but the year that I became pastor, 1987, and at 35 years of age, I thought, I am, I am God's gift to the world. I know everything. I understand all things. And we, we, did, we stopped then around 12 o'clock. And at 12 o'clock, about three minutes to 12, I looked up at the clock on the back and I said, Folks, I'm preaching today. We ain't going to get out of here at 12 o'clock. I'm 12 o'clock on the button. I hit the floor. I lost all feeling. I couldn't do anything. I just collapsed. And then on God said, You quit when it's time to quit, young man. <laughs> And they checked me out, and they said, you have the early stages of heart problems, and Dr. Bunker gave me some advice. I was working a secular job, working about 80 hours a week, and he said, you have three choices. I said, what's that? He said, well, you can quit your secular job, you can quit pastoring, or you can die. Because he said, with your heart condition, you can't, you can't keep burning both the candle at both ends. Then in 2001... I'm just sitting there thinking at the campgrounds, Brother Jerry Jones was preaching, I remember that. I just, July the 5th, the reason why I remember that is the first family from the church that I remember seeing was Brother and Sister Brownie. That they came because I had a heart attack and they took me to the little hospital right there at Marshall and and they they looked at it and they said, you know, his arteries, I had two arteries that were plugged, one 100%, one 95%. And they said, we don't have a surgeon on duty. They called Kalamazoo and they said, well, we have a team that's finishing up a surgery. If you can get him here within an hour, he'd probably be all right. So they put me in the ambulance, took me right out into the, into the surgery, and they opened up one artery that didn't do the next one the next day. At the same time, they were putting me in a in an operating room to open up my arteries. They were bringing in another man that had also suffered a heart attack. And his wife and my wife sat in the waiting room together. Next morning, she was a widow, but God had spared my life. (laughs) Hallelujah. And then just... Not, I don't remember, 2006, I don't remember exactly, but I had to have open heart surgery because all of the uh, arteries had plugged except for one, and including some others, and they said, you've got to have bypass. And so they said, but you only be in here at most four days. And uh, fourth day came, and they still hadn't released me, and I didn't know what was going on. My wife didn't tell me until after I was out of the hospital, but the doctor had come to her and said, we can't get his heart back in rhythm. We can't, can't shock it back in rhythm because if we do, we'll 
will mess up the grass. And so we can't, we can't shock it. The medicine doesn't seem to be working, and if we can't get that bottom part of his heart to start back beating, the blood is coagulating in the bottom of his heart, and it will throw off blood clots, and it will take his life. We've got to find a way to get his heart back in rhythm. I, I didn't know anything about that, but my sister, and, 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 and I'm going somewhere. My sister was in Grand Prairie, Texas, and and uh, that one morning, uh, the doctor walked in and he said hi and went down to the off down to the room down there and did his thing. Came back, and said, "Hey, I got good news." So watch that. He said, "Well, your heart went back in rhythm this morning at one o'clock, so you're gonna get to go home." I said, "Great." About forty-five minutes later, he came back and said, "Well, I got some bad news." So watch that. He said, "Your heart's back out of rhythm. You got to stay." Right after that, my other sister from Texas called and said, have you talked to Linda yet? And I said, no, I haven't talked to anybody. Tell Linda the news. She said, you need to call Linda. So I called Linda and I said, Linda, what, what's going on? She says, I was praying for you last night at midnight. That's Dallas time. It's one o'clock Michigan time. She said, and while I was praying, she said, I saw... The death angel walked down the hall, and she described, she's never been in that hospital. She described the hallway, said the death angel came. Your door was closed. The death angel opened up the door. And when he did, she said, I saw angels on either side of your bed. And when the death angel went to step inside, they began to move their wings. Because the Bible says, they have wings, you know. Twain, they cover their face. Twain, they cover their feet. Twain, they do fly. And they began to move those wings and said the death angel was literally blown away. She said, I looked at the clock. It was midnight. Well, it may not mean anything to you. Like Brother Brownie said, it was a miracle because it's on the chart. At 1 o'clock Michigan time, my heart went back in rhythm. Now, the significance of that is, the doctor said what happened in that four or five hours there where his heart was in rhythm, it, it emptied that lower chamber of his heart of that coagulated blood without throwing out a blood clot. So now, even though his heart's back out of rhythm, there's no blood in the bottom part of his heart throw out a blood clot. And though I stayed another five days, God healed me, but the devil wanted to take out, take me out. And I began to think about that, and I read this passage of Scripture, and it says, And having done all to stand, stand therefore. And I said, Devil, I'm still here. I'm still standing. Hadn't gone anywhere. Hadn't been perfect. No, I haven't. But I'm still here. Hallelujah. So I want to talk to you today about what I feel is the most important part of the armor of God. Because before it says anything about the helmet of salvation, the feet shot of the preparation of the gospel of peace, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, before it says anything about that, it says to stand. That is the most important part because you can have all of the armor, but if you're not where God wants you to be, the armor does no good. 
Amen. Let's talk a little bit about the armor. The armor of God is simply that because it only comes from God. You can't have the armor without the Holy Spirit in your life. Somebody says, why do you apostolics place so much emphasis on receiving the Holy Ghost? Well, because without it, we're just, uh, uh, we're reduced to trying to get by on our own abilities. And we can't make it to heaven on our own. We've got to have the blood of Jesus. Jesus said, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit. We can't make it on our own. So we have to have the Spirit of God in order to take on the armor. Because without that, the devil has free access to us except the power that we have on our own. And some people have a lot of will. They have good willpower. They, you find people that don't smoke, they don't drink, they don't cuss. And as a song we used to sing as a kid, uh, I don't smoke and I don't drink and I don't go with girls who do. And the second verse of that was, is we ain't got no girlfriends. <laughs> Y'all never sang that song? Maybe it's because it was nine of us and we made up all kinds of songs. <laughs> but sometimes we, we have to have the armor so that we can stand against what the Bible says is the evil days. And I wanted to talk a little bit about what are some evils. And, and Brother, Brother Brownie said, we, we pray you don't, I don't exert myself like I used to. I, I can't. Physically, I can't. So I've had to tone down. In fact, the doctor said, he said, I know you apostolics. He said, you can't go back to pounding on the desk and trying to jump over it like. I said, yes, sir. But what are some of the evils of our day? I think one of the things is, is we are so used to we want unregulated freedom. I, 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 I want to be free to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. But true freedom can only exist when it's restricted by godly authority. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You want to know true freedom? Get in the presence of God. You want to know what a life lived with liberty and justice for all? It's not just under the flag of the United States of America. It's under the banner of Jesus Christ. It's when you get in the spirit of the almighty God that you can have liberty. And when you have the liberty that comes with God, there is nothing like it. It is the most wonderful spirit of freedom that there is. I am free, the song says, and I believe it today. I I don't want unrestricted freedom. I want to be constrained by the love of God so that when Satan comes, I can say, I know I have the freedom to turn these stones into bread, but I won't do it. Why? Because it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. I know I have the freedom to turn uh, all these kingdoms and make them worship me, but I won't do it. For the scripture says uh, that I'm going to only worship God and him only. I know I can jump off of this high mountain uh, and and, and I'd be all right. I have the freedom to do so, but I'm not going to do it. Because the scripture says, I will not suffer thy foot to be dashed against a stone. Do you hear me today? I know we have freedom. We can do whatever we want. God's not going to force us. But as the pastor's already taught today, if we really want to have a relationship with God, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. (laughs) Liberty is great, but it's only great when it's filtered through the Spirit and obedience to the Word of God. 
But so many people, they call this method of living, well, it's just legalism and it's restrictions and, and uh, yeah, that's all that it is. And, and, and I, I ran across on, on the uh, uh, YouTube deal, uh, you know, it just comes up a whole lot of times. You don't even know what's going to come up when you go to home. And one of the things was is somebody was posing, how I escape legalism. I didn't even bother to watch it because I know how they escape legalism. They quit walking with God. And I'll prove that in a little while, all right? But this, this, this unrestricted freedom. Another evil that's in our day that we experience is this deluge of excitement. Everything has to be excitement. Everything, you've got to entertain me. Self-indulgence, pampering the flesh. You go to church, and church is boring if you don't have smoke and lights, and I'm not against all that. We've got lights at Apostolic Tabernacle now everywhere you go. There's lights, except, you know, these off up here. But I'm not against those things. We've had, we've had smoke machines before. We've had all those things. We've, uh, they've got uh, uh, the background of the wall with lights going everywhere and all that stuff at times. I'm, I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. But church can no longer be really church because we've got to have things that excite people and, and everything else. We can't preach about any convictions anymore because conviction has been synonymous. We've turned it synonymous with condemnation. Let me tell you, when you walk into a, a God-fearing church and you feel the presence of God, that's not condemnation. Amen. That's not condemnation. When your pastor preaches some things that you should do and things you shouldn't do, that's not condemnation. That's conviction. God, convict me. Let me feel the presence of God. Let me understand those things. I've got to preach about heaven. I've got to preach about hell. I've got to get people to understand hell is hot. Hell is eternal. Heaven is glorious. And heaven is eternal. Choose you this day which place you want to go. I've got to preach it. I've got to let you know there is a right. There is a wrong. There is something. There is godliness. And there is things that aren't godly. And we've got to be able to take those things. We've got to be able to preach. But everybody wants to hear, Oh, you come to church and God's going to give you a million dollars. You're going to get a new house. You're going to get a new car. You're going to get a, you know, your bank account's going to grow and feel good and all the other things. And, and, uh, we were all, wouldn't argue and we were discussing. And somebody quoted the scripture of David that said, I've never seen, I was young, but now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or seed baking bread. And somebody made the statement and said, see, if you live for God, you know, I said, that's not even biblical. They looked at me and said, what are you talking about? I said, was Lazarus saved or lost? He was saved. The Bible says the angels carried him to Abraham's bosom. But what was he doing right before he died? He was laying by the gate of the rich man doing what? Begging. He was begging. Let me just bust your bubble today. You may be living for God, but you can still be going through rough times. That doesn't mean that you're not a child of God. It doesn't mean that you're backslidden. It doesn't mean that you don't love God. It doesn't even mean you're not living right. It's just part of life sometimes. But I give you this promise. If you live for God, there is a promise. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll go with you always, even to the end of the world. I'm here to tell you today, there are evils in the world, but there are those that still stay. I'm still standing on the promises of God. Job said, yea, though he slay me. 
He wasn't talking about the devil. He said, yea, though God himself slays me, yet in my flesh I still see him. In my trust I still say, I came out naked, I leave naked, but I'm still going to worship and praise my God. Evil is in our day. You preach that today and people say, well, if God's not going to let me win that $1.5 billion, I might as well not even serve him. Hey, I got a little, I got a little tip I'll throw in there. I used to walk around looking on the ground hoping I'd find the winning lottery ticket somebody discarded. I was doing that now. I understand. I love jokes, okay? I was walking around one day doing that and I thought, wait a minute. The Bible says, I'll lift up my eyes into the hills. Whence cometh my help? I said, I've been looking in the wrong place. I'm going to start looking in the trees. Maybe the wind caught that winning lottery ticket and it's hung up there in the trees. It didn't work either. Another evil in our day is the desire for fleshly gratification. That's why gambling has become so prolific. That's the reason why that people spend hours and hours. They won't give 50 cents to the church. They'll spend $500 at the casino. I got a nephew that he says, this has probably been 10 years ago. And his vacation, he goes to the casinos in Biloxi, Mississippi. And, and he says, I always take $500 with me. And I said, how much do you come back with? He says, well, usually I come back broke. But he says, I have a good time. That's how I entertain myself. You know, that's how he justifies it. Uh, I, I, I don't go to Six Flags. I go to the casino. I said, Shelton, I tell you what. Would you like to come back home with some of your money every time? A guaranteed winner? Sure, I said, then you... When you get ready to go on vacation, you send me $500. And when you get ready to go back home, I'll send you back 250 I said, you'll go home $250 richer, and I'll be $250 richer. What better plan can you have than that? Amen. Again, like I said, I'm sorry. The older I get, the loopier I get, I guess. But you've got, to, you've got to preach judgment. You've got to let people know. We don't, we don't want to hear that today. As soon as you start telling people you shouldn't be doing that, who are you to judge? That has become one of the most uninspiring questions in today's world. And sadly, it's crept over into the church. Do you, do you understand the Bible says we, children of God, are going to do what? Judge angels? Now... My wife will tell you, I'm not an angel. i tell you who I am to judge. This right here. It's got to be this right here. But here's another apostolic phrase that justifies anything that you don't agree with. Well, in the original Greek, I don't know if Brother Brown remembers, it may have been before they started coming. We had a, a, a man in our church from Greece. And there was a preacher came through and he was expounding. I'm not knocking this. I've used it too. And he was expounding, expounding on, on all these things about, uh, in the original Greek and he was claiming to be a Greek scholar. And, and I met that young man out in the vestibule after church and he said, every time I hear somebody say in the original Greek, I, I laugh. I said, why? He said, well, I'm from Greece. He said, we speak Greek. Wherever they speak Greek. He said, I, I speak Greek fluently. But he said, there's so many dialects that you can't tell what somebody's saying unless you hear how they say it. 
So you just read the written word, and it may not mean the same thing. For example, you tell your kid, that's not good. And they say, yeah, right. Now, what did they just mean when they said that? I don't believe you. But if you just read it on paper, it sounds like they agreed to you, right? They said, yeah, right. You see the difference? Yeah, right. Or, yeah, right. It's the tone, the inflection. He said, some of the words, and he told me then, and I don't remember. He said, you can't tell what that means unless you know the inflection, the tone of voice that it was said in. And it can mean the same thing if it said, yeah, right. Or it could be something else if it says, yeah, right. And so sometimes we excuse not doing what the Scripture plainly says because we become Greek scholars. And I'll give you another example. One of the prominent pastors in our area that uh, uh, has his degree in Hebrew and Greek, he wrote an article for the paper a few years back and said, I've been a student of Hebrew and Greek all of my life, and I've taught it, and I've learned it. He said, and I just discovered that the Bible does not teach against homosexuality. I have misinterpreted the Scriptures all of these years, and I went back and I learned that I have misinterpreted what the Greek and the Hebrew said. And I have a Greek uh, bachelor's degree in Greek and a, a master's in, could have been vice versa. He had a bachelor's in one and a master's in the other. And he said, I have misinterpreted these Scriptures all of my life. You see, this is something the devil will do because he wants to take you out. He wants to destroy you. He wants you to get caught up in the things of the world because here's the last thing I'll mention on this before I get to the other part is the fact that we are now focusing on it takes a village. We're, we're focusing on this. We Americans got to get away from this individuality. You know, well, we're, we're here for individual rights. We've got to forget about individual rights. And we've got to, we've got to be, okay, forget all that. This is not political. What I'm talking about is this. In, in the church world, we have gotten to where that we say, well, everybody else is doing it. So it must be okay if I do it. I'm no longer an individual. I'm responsible for my own actions. That's why the Bible says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because I'm responsible for me. And I can't do it just because everybody else is doing it. And the other thing we say is, well, it must be okay because it's now legal. Well, just because it's legal according to man don't make it legal according to God. It's the evil of our day. And with all those things, it's so easy to get caught up in all of those until we don't really know what we believe. But I believe this, that true apostolics, true those that love God are saying, look, devil, you've thrown everything you could at me, including the kitchen sink. You've done everything you could to take me out, but I'm still in church. I'm still standing on my feet. I'm still declaring here, oh, Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and him only shalt thou serve. I'm still saying there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I'm still declaring that I must come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. I don't care if everybody else is doing it. I am a child of God, and I stand on the Word of God. Hallelujah. I was privileged to have 
elder brother Brown, he'd come over to the house one day, and there was a question that was going around that was very popular in that day. And uh, I said, Brother Brownie, I said, what's your answer to this question? And he said, well, so I've been asked that. Said, the only answer I have is I've never found it in the Bible. That was his father. It was a question concerning how to be baptized. I won't go into all the details. He just said, I've never found it in the Bible. I can find how they did it. And I have no authority to change it. So I'm not going to change it. I don't care what the rest of the church world does. I don't care if every apostolic church in the world changes. I'm not going to change because I never found that method in the Bible. So I'm just going to do it like Peter said to it. That was a wise man. I want to talk today now. This is the gist of my, my sermon. You say, well, uh, it wasn't one of those deals where I say, before I preach, let me say a few words. That first part was part of my preaching as well. I want to talk about three kings. Now, you know kings had armor. They were issued a personalized, personally made, tailor-made suit of armor. Every king got a tailor-made suit of armor just for them. But you see, they, they did something. They didn't stand. The first three kings of Israel is who going to talk about. Saul, David, and Solomon. All three kings were given a specific task, and they didn't stay at their post. May I tell you today that the most important thing you can do is stay at the post that God puts you at. You may have studied in history, but, you know, Pompeii was destroyed by a volcano. As archaeologists un, uh, unearthed Pompeii and uh, uh, began to uh, excavate in those things, they found something unique. They found at a guard post, they found a suit of armor with a skeleton inside of it. Now, the significance of that is this, that the inhabitants of Pompeii had uh, Pompeii, Pompeo was a secretary of state. Uh, Pompeii, the inhabitants had advance warning, and most people got out alive. But that soldier was planted at a post, and he never got relief from staying at that post. Nobody ever came by and said, you can leave because of the danger that's coming. Nobody ever came by and said, it's okay if you just abdicate where you're supposed to be. And so that soldier, from all, everything they looked at and everything they did, said, from all the things we could unearth, that soldier stood. As the flames and the ashes were falling, he stood his ground. That's what Paul was talking about when he said, and having done all, stand. If God hasn't relieved you of that post, if God hasn't given you commandment, you stand. Hallelujah. You say, what are you talking about? I'm saying that there are many jobs in a church. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the righteous. I'm here to tell you, no matter what job God has given you in the church, you stay there and you do that job faithfully and you do it every single day of your life until God says you don't have to do it anymore. I watched as the ladies served downstairs and then, and then I watched as Sister Hannah, who, who, who I've known before she was and I'm sorry, I don't remember your last name now, but I, I knew her before 
she had the same name she has now. And I watched as she was washing dishes. And, and you know, how would you like to eat out of dirty dishes? Say, I don't nothing but a dishwasher. How would you like to eat out of dirty dishes? All they ever do is clean the bathroom. How would you like to go to a dirty bathroom with no toilet paper? Oh, that job's beneath me. It doesn't matter if you're not doing anything but just making sure that everything that's within your reach, that there's nothing dirty and filthy or anything like that on the pew, that that's all you're doing and that's all you're capable. Stay in that position until God relieves you of it. Just stand right there. I'm going to have the cleanest pew in this church. I'm going to make sure that everybody that comes and sits, uh, I, I've even known them to do this at, at our church. They bring some deodorizer and they spray the backs of the pews. Well, they're not pews anymore. They're chairs. They spray it so that whoever sits in this, they're going to smell a sweet incense before the God that we worship. I don't want anybody coming and, and saying, ooh, something around here stinks. You say, that's not important. I'm telling you, if God put you in that post, you stand in that post until God says you can do something else. Brother Brown, he talked about coming when he came. We didn't know he could play the guitar and the piano and the organ. He could just about walk on water. We didn't know all that uh, until we found out. And, and, and the next thing you know, Brother Haver had him doing stuff. And, and then when I became pastor, I said, I need somebody I can trust that can know some of the secrets that you have to tell people, and it won't go any further. And so I chose this couple, and it was, it was the truth. And she, she handled all the finances. She could have taken every dime I had because her name was on our checking account. It was on our savings account. It was on everything else, and we never had to worry about it. We never had to worry about somebody finding out anything else going on because he was, he was a treasurer. She was a secretary, and, 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 and they could handle the finances and handle all the ins and outs, and, and you could trust them. And they stayed in that position. And I'm telling you, no, I never replaced them. I couldn't replace them. Somebody took their job, but I didn't replace them. Amen. Do you understand what I'm talking about today? And having done all to stand... Stand. Doesn't matter whether it's a high job or a small job or whether it seems unimportant to you. Saul started out, he started out as a man that was very small in his own eyes. In fact, when it came time to crown him as king, he couldn't be found. Had to go find him, and God revealed his hammer. He's hidden himself among the stuff, and he came back. Even though he stood head and shoulders, it says he went home like this. First Samuel ten twenty six, and Saul also went home to Gibeah, and there went with him a band of men, whose hearts God had touched. He surrounded himself with godly men. He surrounded himself with men that were used to obeying and being submissive. This is the type of man that he was. But there came the day whenever he started laying aside his armor. Something got into Saul. He said, I can offer a sacrifice just as good as Samuel can. And somebody said it to me one time, and I had an elder in the church. I'll tell you who the elder was. I won't tell you who said it to me. Brother Myers was in there with me. And somebody said, God speaks to me just like he does you, talking to me. And Brother Myers came up out of his chair and said, you wait a minute. God may speak to you, but he never speaks to you like he speaks to the pastor. Never. He said, I pastored for years. But God God may speak to every saint of God in the building, but he never speaks to them like he does to the pastor. Saul, do you understand? You may hear from God, but you don't hear from God like Samuel does. Samuel is my chosen vessel. Samuel is supposed to be over you. And Saul, when you get out of order, I'm telling you, you're in for a rude awakening. Saul, you better pull back on the rain some. You're getting too big for your britches. Getting too big for your armor, in other words. 
And so Samuel said, Saul, go down to the Malachites and slay every one of them. All their animals, everybody. Agag the king, you slay them all. And then when it came back, Samuel heard the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the cattle, and he heard the sound of voices. And when Saul got there, Samuel said, Have you done all that I said do? Saul said, Oh, yeah, we've done everything you said do. And Samuel said, Then what's this I hear? He said, Well, it's the people's fault. They're the ones that talk to bring back the best for a sacrifice. And Samuel said, Saul, don't you understand? When you were little in your own eyes, God used you. But now you've laid aside the armor and you're trying to rule according to your own desires. And so God has rent the kingdom from you. And Saul said, oh, Samuel, I'm so sorry. Would you go with me and pray that God will forgive me? And Samuel said, I will not go with you because you have rejected the word of God. Can I tell you, and I don't know why God laid this on my heart except he did. Because I don't know any of you. The only ones I know here are Sister Hannah, and Brother and Sister Brownie, and Brother, I'd say Brother and Sister Chris, but it's Brother and Sister Brownie as well. And that's the only ones I know. But I'm here to tell you something today. Stay little in your own eyes. Never forget that he that will be greatest among you, what? Let him be servant to all. Servant is the highest position you can have in the kingdom of God. Amen. That is one of the things that my father and my father-in-law taught me. They said, never be afraid to get your hands dirty just because you pastor. Just because you may have some success. Amen. Then came David. We all know David. What was he called? A man to God's own heart. And God even said, I have found me a man. He will do all of my will. And David was a great man. One of the first acts we find him out in public. Now, he slew the bear and the lion in private. But when he got out in public, what's the first thing we find him doing? He was being a giant slayer. That was his calling, and he was a worshiper of God. One of his first acts, great acts as a king, was to bring back the tabernacle to the, to the temple. And he, he worshiped until his wife, Micah, said, Ah, huh. What a fool you were today. You, you, you undressed, in other words, in front of the people and danced shamelessly. And, and as a result, she became barren because she made fun of David. And so he was known as a worshiper. And he was known as a giant slayer. But then you find some things. Something happened in David's life. And we don't know exactly what it was, but something began to change in David's life. Second Samuel chapter 21 says, it came to pass after this, there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sebekei the Hushanite slew Saph, which is one of the sons of the giants. And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines where Elhanan, the son of somebody, Jehoram or something. I usually try to pronounce all these, but that one I can't. A Bethlehemite slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff blew spears like a weaver's beam. And there was yet a battle in Gath where there was a man of great stature, had on every hand six fingers and every foot six toes, four and twenty in number. He was a giant as well. Deformed as well. And when he had defied Israel, Jonathan, son of Shimei, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Notice what's happening now. David is no longer the giant slayer. You say, well, God has removed him out of that position. Did God remove him from that position? Well, let's, let's find out. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Reba. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. 
And it came to pass in the evening time. You see, David didn't go forth to battle. He had abdicated his role because the people had said to David, don't go out to battle lest you get killed because remember he was almost killed by a giant and somebody else slew the giant. And they said, don't go out to battle lest the light go out in Israel. And so David began to stay at home and didn't go out to fight. And when he abdicated his role, Do you think if God gave him the strength to slay Goliath when he was young, that God couldn't give him strength to slay the giants when he was was older? God didn't lose his strength, but David stayed at home. And at evening time, he began to walk. And there's nothing wrong with what he's doing so far. It's natural. He walked up. And even what he saw Bathsheba doing was not unusual in those days, to, to bathe up on the rooftops. But David had abdicated. He was no longer a giant slayer. He was no longer the guy that danced before the Lord. He had gotten comfortable and he said, I'm old now. I don't have to do those things. But I, I said it when I was younger and I want to say it when I'm older if I can't. In fact, I went up to somebody at church not too long ago and I said, look, I cannot run around this church, but I want to so bad. Will you do me a favor? Will you take a lap around the church from me? I'll be behind you every step, except I can't do it. And that young man said, yes. And he took off and did a lap around the church. It was my praise. I know he did the action, but since I couldn't do it, I wanted to so bad. David, you may not have the strength to go forth to battle, but you don't need to sit and stay on the rooftop and do nothing. You need to be there and say, hey, I'm rooting for you. And I believe your pastor will do that. Hey, go for it, young man. Go for it, young lady. Go slay your giants. Go worship with all of your might. And I'll be behind you with everything that I can be. But you see, David forgot he left his post. He was supposed to be a giant slayer. Instead, he became a parapet walker. He was walking around on top of his house. He left his post. Don't leave your post today. And then Solomon, who the Bible declares as the wisest man in all of the world, he was somebody that the Bible says, and Solomon loved the Lord, walking the statues of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burned incense in high places. There was something in Solomon. We, we wonder how he got so far as to marry 300 wives or 700 wives and 300 concubines. We wonder how he got so far away from God that he said, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Here's where it started right here. It says, only he sacrificed and burned incense in high places. You say, well, what difference did that make? He still offered proper sacrifices. He still did all the right motions. He still used the priest to do so. Why was it so wrong? And we don't really know except there had to be something in the heart of Solomon that says, I don't want to be totally separate from everybody around me. Something about their manner of worship impressed him. We don't know exactly what it was, but instead of going to where he was supposed to offer the sacrifice, he went to the groves, the high places of the idolaters people. And there he said, I'm going to make what's unholy, holy, by offering sacrifices. I see so many people that say, 
I'll never walk away from the truth. Oh, God. I didn't want to say anything like this. If God hadn't asked me to, I wouldn't. But they say, all that separation stuff, that's just man-made. It's just something that somebody didn't want people to have fun, just sit down together and said, ah, let's, let's, let's do like the, the men that told Jeroboam. I got, a, I got a mental block, and that's a result of strokes and everything else. But you're going to be like your daddy's little finger compared to what you're going to do. And he lost the kingdom because of it. And they have said, that's just somebody sitting around trying to make up rules and regulations and stop you from having fun. Just trying to make you be an old fuddy-duddy stick in the mud and make you look dowdy and make you look horrible and not have any enjoyment and all that stuff. Solomon, what are you doing? I'm still doing everything right. I still use the priest. Still do that. I'm doing this in order to gain their favor. I can better witness to them if I can have something in common with them. Solomon, you're the wisest man that ever lived. And God said, I'll be with you like no other man. They came from near and far to hear Solomon's wisdom and Bathsheba. The queen of Sheba came and said, the half has not been told. And at first, in First in Kings 8, 10, it says, happy are thy men and happy are thy servants. This was queen of Sheba's understanding, which stand continually before thee and hear thy wisdom. And then in chapter 10 and verse 9, it says, blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore may he king to do judgment and justice. Solomon, you should have gone and told the people. It's not enough just to use the right words. You've got to be obedient. You've got to be submissive to the word of God. It's not enough just to go through the right motions. Hallelujah. Jump three feet high and shout loud. It's not enough for that. You've got to go according to the word of God. And Solomon, you're supposed to tear down the the groves and the high places. You're not supposed to worship in them to try to have a rapport with the world. Don't you remember this? Don't you remember what the Bible says about having fellowship? For what fellowship as righteous as unrighteous. Can two walk together except they be aggrieved? Wherefore what? Come out from among them and what? Be ye separate, saith the Lord. Solomon, you're, you're laying aside the armor. You're not staying in your post. God didn't put you there to have fellowship with the heathen. He put you there to declare the judgment and justice of God. He put you there to turn the hearts of people to God. He put you there so that you could prove to the world you can be rich and still serve God. Aren't you thankful for that? Lord, I'm serving you. I'm still waiting on the first part. (laughs) But he was there to prove that you don't have to compromise in order to have the favor of God. He was there to prove that you can stand firm on the Word of God and still grow a kingdom. 
But he, he left his post. He left off the most important part of the armor. And having done all, stand. Just stand. I don't know what you may be going through. I don't know how the devil may be fighting you. He fights everybody in a different manner. He comes at us with all kind of things. And what bothers you may not bother me. I may look at it and say, well, I don't know why in the world that bothers you. And then what bothers me may not bother you. And you may look at me and say, well, that's such a small thing. Why in the world is it stuck in your crawl? Anybody know what a crawl is? Brother Brownie does. Crawl is how a chicken digests its food. It's, it goes into its, its crawl, and it's like, like we chew. It goes into that crawl. That's why you see a chicken picking pebbles because it's got pebbles down in that crawl, and it grinds it. Y'all didn't know that? None of y'all grew up on a farm. Okay. You got something stuck in your crawl. You got something that's just grinding away on the inside at you. And God is saying, look, here's what I want you to do. You may be going through a rough time. Everybody has those things. But here's all you got to do. You say, well, oh, I got to go start praying three hours a day. I'm not knocking that. I'm not knocking any of those things. I got to fast five days a week. I'm not knocking that. Fast ever how long you want. But if you fast and you pray and you don't stand, you've done it all in vain. I'm going to stand on the Word of God. Devil, I'm not going anywhere. Brother Brownie taught in his deal. He said, people say, you know, you call me a dog, I'm going somewhere else. There's plenty of other churches that accept me, especially that accept my tithes. No, God, I'm standing right where you, this is the post you put me at. You placed me right here at Rehoboth. This is where I'm staying until God releases me, and God hasn't released me. Somebody asked me, my wife's been at Benton Harbor since 1963. And I've been there since 1972. And somebody says, why in the world are y'all still there? I said, because God has never released us to go anywhere else. I'm right where I want to be. I'm not pastoring anymore. But I still walk over there. And I still look at those chairs. And I say, God, bless every chair. Those faithful saints of God and those that, that put up with me when I was learning, they're all, there's very few of them left. Most of them now have come in under, under Pastor McKinnis. All the older ones are, are, are going on to their heavenly reward. But I still walk in there and I walk past. I walk into that furnace room and I say, God, I remember Brother Bill Griffin. I walk into, into those things, into the, into the bathroom. And I say, I still remember Brother Jim Gibson. I still remember Brother Paul Ryan. I still remember Brother Carl Ellis. I still remember Brother Lou Lovell. I still remember Brother Eubanks. And I start naming names. And I say, God, I remember them. And I'm standing here. I'm not perfect. I have failed so many times. I feel like the Apostle Paul. I'm the chiefest of sinners. But God, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying in my post. I'm going to do what God said. I'm going to stand and have it all. I'm just going to stand on the Word of God. Hallelujah. I had a, had a man probably, well, I know it's been probably 35 years ago. I was, I was tired of waiting. I'm just being honest with you. I was tired of waiting. Dad had said, you know, I was assistant pastor, but I... You know, I was young. I was about 30 years old. I thought, he ain't never going to retire. I'm going to get my own church. So I went 
And my wife went up and preached at a church, and man, we had service. You wouldn't believe we had a service. They wanted to have a vote that night. Brother Paul Mooney was the president of the section at that time. They called him up and said, Brother Mooney, if you'll come down, we'll have an election tonight. Brother Mooney said, well, you've got one more guy that's supposed to come and preach. Why don't we just wait one week? Well, that scoundrel came and preached next week, and they voted him in. Brother Mooney called me up. He said, Brother Long, I have no idea. He is everything they said they didn't want. He's never pastored. He's only 21 years old. He's everything they said they didn't want, but they elected him. He lasted one year. But the man that did become pastor of that church came up to me this year at family camp, and I'm, I'm drawing to a close. He said, you know, about 35 years ago, we voted or would have voted on you as a pastor. He said, I want you to know it would have been a high honor to have been a saint under your pastorate. He said, I just wanted you to know that. Even though he, well, he doesn't pastor the church now. His son does. It's been that many years that his son now pastors the church. He said, but it would have been a high honor for you and your wife to be our pastor. And I said, well, brother, I found out I'm right where God put me. Just still standing. And by the grace of God, unless something major happens, either to my health or my stupidity, and the pastor don't run me off, I'm staying right where I am. Would you stand with me? And having done all to stand, stand. In this congregation, there are those that the devil has tried to take your life. He didn't want you to be here today. He didn't want you to be in church today. You see, I'll tell you a little story real quick about why he tried to kill me at eight years of age instead of waiting until I was ten. Because at eight years of age, I was demon-possessed. You look at it and say, That's imp- no, it wasn't impossible. I'll never forget the day my sister had had enough. As I charged her with a knife, intending to stab her to death, and she grabbed my arms, and she said, I've had enough of this devil come out of him in the name of Jesus. And I wilted and fell to the floor. That's why he wanted to kill me while I was still in his possession. Because he knew I was going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. He knew I was going to become a child of God. So he said, well, I still got him. I'll just kill him. Oh, no, I'm preaching today. There's someone here in this congregation who the devil has said, I'll just give up. Just go away. It really doesn't make that much difference. Don't you need to look him in the eye and say, I'm standing on the word of God. I'm standing on the promises of God. I will not be moved. I'm planted by the rivers of water. And in him, I'm going to trust. And God be my helper. I'll be here until the rapture takes place or until death calls me home because I'm not going anywhere. I'm standing at my post. But, but don't you understand? Tornadoes are coming, and and, and and all hell is breaking loose in the world, and climate change is here, and all those other things is taking place. I understand all those, but until God calls me home, I'm going to declare He is King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm going to say that there is none righteous except Him. I'm going to declare to you, 
Get in the ark of safety. Get in the salvation. Get yourself in a God-fearing church. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. And stand, stand, stand. Open this altar up today. If you're here and you'd like to come and reaffirm, I'm just standing. But don't you know you're not able to do what you used to do? No. I can't preach like I used to. I can't sing like I used to. I can't worship like I used to. But I can still stand and declare, all my life, He has been faithful. All my life, He has been so, so good. As long as I have breath, with every breath that I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Would you do that with me right now? Would you thank God for His goodness? Would you reaffirm God, I'm going to stand on Your Word. I'm going to stand on Your promise. I'm going to stay at my post. I'm going to do what God asked me to do. I'm going to stay and do that. I'm not going to deviate. I'm not going to say, well, you don't really have to be born again. I'm going to say, except the man be born of the water and of the Spirit. I'm going to say, every knee is going to bow. It's appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. Yes, I'm going to say there are some things that are right. I'm going to declare there are some things that are wrong. I'm going to say there are some places a child of God ought not go. I'm going to say there are some things a child of God ought not do. I'm going to declare I'm standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. And what what pastor says, I'm going to listen to it because he's going to give an account for my soul. And I want him to be able to stand up and say, God, this was a faithful child of God. You said well done. I say well done. They did what they could for God and they were faithful at it. And when all hell broke loose, they just stood right there. And having done all, just stand. One more time. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you need it to put on the armor of God. You're not going to be able to stand if you don't have the armor of God. You need the armor of God to stand. That means you need the Holy Ghost to stand. Not stand before me and there may be somebody that can look at every man in the eye and say, I'm not going to do that. But you're not going to be able to stand before God if you haven't stood for what He said. So just stand. Once again, let's worship. I don't know if they're going to sing. What do they want to do? But here's what I'm going to do for all of my life. I'm just going to stand. Just going to stand. Hallelujah.